Hello and welcome. Before we get into today's topic, I have a quote for you. It's this. We all have enough strength to endure the misfortunes of others. That's a quote from a gentleman named Francois de la Rochefoucauld from the year 1655. Now, that is a truism to put on the refrigerator door. We all have enough strength to endure the misfortunes of others. Well, welcome to this episode of Honor and Courage as we continue our campaign to take back America from mediocrity, corruption, immorality, and despair. I'm Albert McKegg, your host, and thank you so much for joining us today. I've entitled this episode, My Name is Not Clark Kent. I guess I don't have to tell you that Clark Kent is really Superman. Boy, what a shocker for me. The day that I discovered that kryptonite really wouldn't kill me was the day that I discovered that virtually everything else in the world could and would. Again, for the uninitiated, that means that I am not Superman. Can you imagine? There I was many years ago, a bright, relatively young American male in the prime of life who could not leap tall buildings in a single bound, was not faster than a speeding locomotive, and could not catch bullets in his teeth. I couldn't even see through paper, let alone granite walls. The invincibility of youth had failed me, and my cape draped loosely around me as I cowered in a corner, subdued and weakened by the greenish glare of kryptonite, my pseudonym for reality. Oh, woe is me, we are concerned. That's an army acronym pronounced WIMWAC. That's the first letter of each one of those words. Woe is me, we are concerned. The military is full of acronyms. I've had more than my fair share of success in life and look forward to greater achievements in the future regardless of my advancing age. I hope to continue using the experiences I've gained in life to help myself and to help others do more and greater things. I really don't believe you have to personally experience a problem or live through a situation in order to learn from it. If you can see how others have handled adversity, ill-tempered foes, misfortunes, criticism, sorrows, and just plain bad luck and take from those observations a morsel of thought and wisdom, then you'll profit without having to suffer the same pains and agony yourself. I enjoy reading biographies and autobiographies for that very reason. When I was 14 years old and just entering high school, I was a wimp. For you male types out there, you know very well the stereotypical person I'm talking about. I was afraid of everything, including other kids my own age. I had a real self-esteem problem and didn't know whether or not it would ever end. I realize that adolescent girls have unique problems too, especially now that I've lived through the teenage years of my own daughter. But the symptoms and effects are vastly different. Not easier, mind you, just different. As for me, I was so clumsy, awkward, and unlucky that I could hurt myself by just reading an action comic book. There was no way I was going to try to live a bold and adventurous life, and action and adventure to a maturing male seems to be important in some way. Maybe it has to do with slaying woolly mammoths for supper. I don't know. At any rate, by age 15, I had already gone through four major surgeries and suffered enough ill health to last a lifetime. A couple of years later, I decided to rejoin the human race and began gaining a little self-esteem. Mostly that came from my participation in what was then called the Future Farmers of America. Now it's called the 
National FFA. This was a slow process at first, but by the time I turned 25, had endured a military training and three and a half years of active duty in the Army, the transformation was complete. I was invincible, or at least I thought that I was. In my mind, the Army had turned me into a real-life superhero capable of taking on any task and vanquishing any foe. Neither ice nor snow, heat nor hail turned me as I marched that dusty, narrow trail. Actually, I rode in a tank, but I walked through life with a total confidence in my ability to overcome all opposition. Life to me had become a bowl of cherries, and I was so tough, I chewed and swallowed the pits. Kitty and I went out for a walk one day at what was then called Fort Hood, Texas. I was a young lieutenant there, full of myself, in good physical shape, and not afraid of much anything or any person. We climbed a tall hill overlooking Belton Lake, a scenic reservoir bordering the post. After reaching the top, we were standing around taking in the panorama and the view when I spotted a car pulling into the clearing below us where we had parked the trusty Toyota. In 1974, there were enough ne'er-do-wells around Fort Hood that I didn't figure these visitors were trustworthy tourists. The post-Vietnam Army was a rough outfit, and Fort Hood was one of the roughest of places. From where we were, it was probably half a mile or more to our car, all downhill, but all through thick mesquite, cactus, and scrub cedar. If you've never run full speed through mesquite, cactus, and cedar, you just ain't tough. Well, try it sometimes, and you'll find out what I'm saying. I told Kitty to follow at a safe distance and started down the hill at a full run. In those days, that was fairly quick, and a half mile was hardly enough to get me breathing hard. As I neared the bottom of the hill, I slowed so that I wouldn't sound like one of my huge tanks crashing through the brush. As I neared the clearing where the car was, I heard the distinctive metallic pop that comes with the car door being jimmied. Adrenaline hit me like an afterburner, and I put it into high gear, breaking out of the thicket just as the first miscreant opened the door and bent over to reach inside. His pal, holding what I later identified as a Schlitz Tallboy beer can, complete with beer, was keeping watch. The tableau remains clearly fixed in my mind even after all these years, I suppose from the ensuing excitement. When the lookout saw me coming like a charging bull, he dropped his beer, made a startled utterance akin to gee whiz, and turned to run. Thus surprised, the felon number one banged his head on the doorframe of the car as I let out a primal roar of rage. He recovered nicely and also began a tactical withdrawal with as much haste as he could manage. His problem was that he couldn't go from zero to 60 in two seconds, and I was already moving full speed. I hit him like a runaway train, sending both of us sprawling. Thinking that I had adequately subdued that villain, I grabbed a hardball-sized rock and moved out smartly in chase of the lookout who was by now in full retreat. I was closing on him fast when he rounded a bunch of yopon bushes and dived headlong into the open window of a waiting car. I had the clarity of mind to think that that was a neat trick on his part. In those impetuous days, I considered myself quick-witted, and that attribute provided for me well that day as the car held not only my fugitive, but four other scoundrels, all young, all fit, and all very there. I registered all those facts in the microsecond before my warrior spirit flung me headlong into the car. Having no other option, I simply stopped and said, either get your butts out and fight or get out of here. 
Much to my surprise, they tore out, throwing an avalanche of gravel and rocks in their wake. As I contemplated, A, my bravery, and B, my stupidity, the thought of the fallen felon back at the car entered my awareness. I returned to the scene of the first altercation to secure him, only to find him running with a noticeable limp toward the receding automobile. Well, I let him go. I'd saved the car, and my lady was safe, and darn it, she had missed the whole show. I was standing by the car with a heaving chest as I sucked in air and tried to look brave when she came out of the brush. Actually, I was terrified at how my impetuous nature had put me into a really bad situation, but more importantly, it would have left her to the thugs. That was a really, really stupid move on my part. At the time of the event in question, I was a platoon leader of the 2nd Armored Division, the very tank outfit old George S. Patton had founded in 1940 and named it Hell on Wheels. As a platoon leader, I was responsible for five tanks and 20 men. Through hard work, determination, and men willing to work, my tank platoon earned the top tank gunnery score of all the platoons in the division. My platoon also had the high-scoring individual tank of the division out of 214 tanks. As we stood in the division award ceremony, it never occurred to me that it should have been any other way than for me to be there. There was no thankfulness nor appreciation, merely an acceptance of what I believed to be the inevitable consequences of me being me. Boy, what arrogance. Whatever I endeavored to do, it seemed that my success was assured. Impetuousness of youth was part of it. Brute force was a major factor, and luck, fate, or karma seemed to be the rest. I did not dwell on why very much in those days. I was one of the original bottom-line people of living only to win. Ten years later, age 35, found me first out of the Army, through law school, and then back in the Army. That's another story altogether, and I'll give it to you someday. By then, though, I was again at Fort Hood, having completed four fabulously successful years in Germany before reunification. While I was in Germany, in the 1st Armored Division, stationed near the Czech-German border, my company was rated the top tank company in Europe. Two of my three platoons tied for top gunnery platoon honors in the entire division. The success of my soldiers, coupled with my iron determination to succeed, was then instrumental in my selection as aide-de-camp to then Major General Crosby E. Saint. According to staff rumors, I was the first aide General Saint ever had to complete his full one-year tour of duty without requesting reassignment or being involuntarily reassigned. General Saint was the youngest two-star general in the Army at the time, and then the youngest three-star, and then the youngest four-star. He remained one of my heroes and guiding lights until his death just a few years ago. The job with General Saint was nearly enough to humble me, but I suppose I was too hard-headed for the lesson to last. At any rate, I had my choice of places to go and assignments after my year with General Saint, and I chose Fort Hood, Texas, garden spot of the Southwest. I asked to work in the training department of the 3rd Corps headquarters, knowing that that was where the real action would be. When I first asked for the assignment, my assignment officer thought I was nuts and absolutely did not know what was good for me, but I did. 
It was a calculated risk that paid off. General Saint was promoted to three-star general soon after I left him in Germany, and he was then assigned as the third corps and Fort Hood commander, and he was a trainer. My position immediately was catapulted into the center of Fort Hood's military universe. I became the unofficial Grand Vizier. I knew the general. My advice, thoughts, and counsel were sought by a lot of people. My opinion counted. I worked hard, and again, success was mine, and I gloried in it. During my first 15 months at Fort Hood, I worked for a rising star colonel of artillery named Tommy Ray Franks. He later had great success as a four-star general who successfully fought the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, conducting the fastest, furthest, deep attack in the history of modern armored warfare. That was the arena in which I worked. I had gone through some times in life of being in poor shape, physically, especially while I was in law school, but age 35 found me on top of a job with time to really work out, muscle up, and get fit. I, along with a couple of other guys, either ran four or five miles a day or played an hour or more of racquetball every day, four or five times a week, along with working on weights, doing sit-ups and push-ups. I maxed the Army's physical fitness test twice by doing around 75 sit-ups, 75 push-ups, and running the two miles in about 14 minutes. Actually, one time was considerably less than 14 minutes. I don't recall the exact numbers now, but it got me a certificate, a jacket patch, and a medal. And hey, it was a peacetime army then. Besides, it was a small medal. Somehow, during my ascent into the realms of success, I realized that God was necessary. I'd been raised a Christian in a Christian home, but there had been a time when I didn't have the time nor inclination to acknowledge Jesus. It would have hampered my fun and adventure, or so I thought. During this rush to glory, however, I had been in constant contact with God, thanking Him, telling Him what I was going to do next, and making sure that He would be there to continue His protection over me. I was wearing the knees out of my combat uniform, praying and making sure that God was on board with my plans. I knew I had to have God, and the harder I worked, the harder I prayed. In truth, though, I had been struggling with God, and He wanted me to listen to Him for a change rather than for me to tell Him what I was doing. Doing the thing in the Army that I did best, that's riding a tank down a gunnery qualification course and setting a course record for the night run, I might add, my tank slammed into a creek bank. It didn't hurt the tank, but my left knee and back were badly injured. I tried to continue my mission as the battalion training officer, but eventually the pain and shock forced me to leave the range and go to the post hospital. There is an unusual psychological reaction that occurs in the presence of serious physical injury. I don't know the technical side of it, but I think that when a person is in top physical shape, the mental and emotional injury is often as traumatic as the physical suffering. I was out of action, mostly flat on my back, and had time for the first time in years to assess what it was I was doing with my life. What was I supposed to be doing? What was my life mission? Why had this happened to me anyway? Didn't God know that I couldn't afford the time off right then? After all, I was on the launching pad and headed for the stars. God is infinitely patient with impetuous humans, and God finally had me sitting still long enough and quiet long enough to talk to me. I don't believe for an instant that God caused the injury, but God would take advantage of those situations for his good. 
So for a change, I listened. I suppose I had no choice. With my knee swollen and my back hardly working and my morale totally crushed, on crutches I went in to my battalion commander and told him that I needed to be relieved from my position and reassigned to less rigorous duties. In truth, through hours of prayer, by then I already knew that my destiny lay outside the army and that had I listened to God earlier, things may have been different. For the first time in my adult life, though, I had truly failed. I certainly hadn't failed in the worldly sense, but in a sense even more important than that. I had failed my God, myself, and my family." Only then did it become apparent to me and to all observers that my name is truly not Clark Kent. I am not Superman. I am a frail human with physical and emotional weaknesses. With a decision based solely upon my overwhelming need to follow God's guidance, I left the army that I loved so dearly and came back to Waller, Texas. I came home because I needed to take care of my family. I had been spending eight or nine months out of each year away from my family in one, two, and three-week blocks. My family needed me, and I needed my family. Not only my nuclear family, but my parents and the stability they gave to my life. I came home determined more than ever to make up for the losses in self-esteem, pride, and health that I'd suffered. I opened my law practice and set about to make a difference in all the right areas of my life, particularly with my family and with my faith. Within two years, I was on the course for success in the civilian world, complimenting to the course of success I had set in the military. My resume was developing, my civic activities were expanding, and my ability to influence my environment and my peers was increasing. A summary of my activities during that time indicates a solid pattern of success. I continued my military service as a major in the Texas Army National Guard with an assignment at Headquarters State Area Command in Austin, Texas. I also must have been brain dead. I hadn't learned anything from the failures of the soul and spirit that I'd suffered while in the military, and I was repeating the same mistakes in my civilian life. Again, it was me out front, me on the podium, me in the front of the camera. I suffered the same consequences. I fell flat on my face with God and my family while filling my walls with certificates, plaques, and awards. Life is what you make it, though. I began spending more time with my children instead of with myself. I coached peewee football and took on the responsibility for doing things with my daughter and son that would have been beneath my consideration as too time-consuming in the past. My attention to my family has paid off in multiple ways. My daughter is a certified Le Cordon Bleu chef, is lead vocalist in a great worship band at her church, and is making her way in the world as a marketing executive in a national education company. She's a wife and mother and doing great things. My son is a graduate of Howard Payne University and is a licensed and ordained minister, has two master's degrees, and is working on two doctorates. He is committed to the renewal of the church and returning it to God. I am now a senior state district judge working part-time in the highest level trial courts in Texas. My wife, Kitty, is a fantastic grandmother and spends about half of her time taking care of grandchildren for our traveling children and their spouses. 
As I prepared this podcast, I'm well over 70 years old. Since the glory years and after I crashed the tank into a creek bank, thus ruining one perfectly good left knee and a back, and had four surgeries to get put back together, I have also gone through mononucleosis, fibrillations of the heart, four sets of glasses, and had cataract surgery on both eyes. I have high blood pressure, but it's under control with medication, and I've gotten fat. The rebellion in my soul against God's discipline has been quelled, and my outlook on life is much more positive. Contrary to sitting on my laurels, I'm primed for future success as glamorous and fun as those of my past. But now I have set my sights on success, on doing things for my God, my country, my family, and myself, because I want to do it and because it is the right thing to do and not because I'm driven. Regardless, though, I want to continue to refocus the moral outlook on America, to take back America, and to turn it back to the people. There is still a lot of good in America, and we need to develop it and cherish it. My big question of what next for me has been answered. The big question for you, then, is how will you respond as the little human frailties of life catch up to you and you stumble and fall? It's inevitable that they will catch you, you know. Your only alternative to having birthdays and risking failure is to do nothing or dying. Personally, I'd rather put up with a few more surprise parties than take either of those other routes. Will you respond with resilience or will you allow one failure to make you a failure? Keep in mind that failing is not the same as being a failure. A failure never tries again. In all seriousness, have you thought about what you want to be doing with your life when you're finally eligible for Social Security? Where will you be in your life's journey when some actual or artificial milestone appears? Life is a battle. Be prepared. Decide how you'll respond. And don't worry, kryptonite really won't hurt you. My name may not be Clark Kent, but I do have a wonderful life, and I look forward to lifting up you and others on our journey through life with honor and courage. Thank you for joining me. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and follow me on Spotify or Apple. I'll see you next time right here. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. 